Today we conclude our sermon series on Christmas in the Old Testament. And, and I've worked hard to try to help you understand the need to, to think about these Old Testament passages in their own context. And these prophets aren't, aren't reading palms and predicting the future the way we often think of prophets. They're reading their times. And they're speaking to their people. And they're trying to bring a message from God into their situations. And they get these, these glimpses, these visions of what God's saying. And, and uh, they can't see the full effect of what that's going to be. So we want to understand what they are seeing so that when we go back and read Jesus into those, we can really fully understand the parts of, of Jesus that they were actually seeing and looking forward to. Um, so we've been doing that with a number of, of these passages, looking at them in the Old Testament and then reading forward, whereas often we look at them in the New Testament and just read backwards. Um, We've already talked about Isaiah 7.13, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We've developed the idea of the Messiah. We've uh, uh, developed the idea of John the Baptist as the Elijah or the voice crying in the wilderness. Today, I just want to pick up on a few other ones. And I'm going to roll kind of quickly through five different elements uh, that we find in these birth stories that come out of the Old Testament and how Matthew and Luke are using them. And so... Uh, first of the five is the way Matthew and Luke use their genealogies as part of the birth story. This is another thing we don't typically think about with the birth stories, but Matthew and Luke both give genealogies. Matthew begins with a genealogy. Luke puts it after all of the birth and childhood narrative. But still, both want to make sure that we're paying attention to the genealogies. Now, we could do a lot with the genealogies, talking about a lot of the characters in there, um, characters that needed to be in there, uh, characters that were uh, kind of strange uh, places. And, and actually, both those genealogies are different. And so why are they different? That's a whole other question for another day. Most important is that both of the genealogies want to make sure that we get that Jesus is a descendant of King David because the Messiah had to be. Uh, a descendant of King David. Okay, this understanding goes all the way back. Okay, uh, in 2 Samuel 7, after God has made a covenant with David, and, and just shortly after he becomes king, God promises that his kingdom will be forever. So this is uh, from 2 Samuel 7. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up for your, up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build an, uh, a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's a part of the understanding is that this is Solomon, right? Solomon is the one that builds the temple. But, but actually that Jesus is saying, that, that, that Jesus is underlying these words. It, it's, it's from here that the prophets get some uh, insight and some imagination into this connection. Okay, uh, so Isaiah 9, 7 says... Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from the latter time forth, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Isaiah sees this coming Messiah as someone from David's line. Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch up 
from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Jesse is David's father. Okay, so when it talks about a shoot from the stump of Jesse, okay, uh, it, it's, it's somebody off of the lineage, the tree, the root system of Jesse. That would be somebody like King David. Prophet Jeremiah says something similar in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, even the same image, branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and so execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So Isaiah and Jeremiah anticipate that part of God's solution to the problem is going to come from somebody related to King David. Now they're probably still thinking about King Hezekiah or King Josiah, or one of the actual people related to David that could still be king in those days. But what Matthew and Luke want to make sure we catch is that actually that line of David is where Jesus comes from. Jesus is this ultimate one for whom they are anticipatingly waiting. Now, uh, the, the rest of the Old Testament in the Christmas stories today, we're going to look at really come from the story of the wise men in Matthew. Okay, Matthew uh, does a lot with the story of the wise men to try to help us connect it to the Old Testament. Now, these wise men are, are not kings in the Bible. They're not numbered three, in fact. Um, they're probably Zoroastrian priests. They're probably from another religion that, that believed in sacred literature and prophecies from other cultures. It says they're from the East, but probably that there's really just desert to the east. They're probably from the northeast um, up in uh, the town of, like, say, Nineveh, somewhere in northern Iraq, um, around the Fertile Crescent. And so they come to worship the king, and so where do they go? Well, they go to Jerusalem, because after all, if a king is born, wouldn't you expect the king to be born to the current king in the palace? But, but that's not what they find. And so we get our second Old Testament passage for today. The chiefs and the scribes search their scriptures for where the Christ of the Messiah is to be born. They read Micah 5.2, which says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, as you might expect by now, I don't think that Micah is really looking to uh, looking at a, a stable and uh, imagining Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. No, I, I think he's, he's thinking of a more immediate king. But, but, but Bethlehem is, is significant. Significant in, in, a couple, in two ways. One, it's a little place, right, with, with little to no significance. In other words, it's not Jerusalem. You would expect the king to come from Jerusalem, but Micah is saying to his people, now the king isn't going to come through the kingly lines. He's going to come from Bethlehem, which, by the way, who was from Bethlehem? King David was born in Bethlehem. And so Micah, Micah's a big, big uh, proponent of, of justice and the injustice that Israel had been, uh, been having against people in their, in their country and in their world. And so he's saying, when he says Bethlehem, 
He's saying it's not going to be Jerusalem. It's not going to be from the current power structure. But the leader is going to move us forward. It's going to come from little nowhere Bethlehem, just like David did. It's going to come from outside the current structure. And yet, we'll, we'll be from days of old, just like it was with David. Okay, And so, yes, it's going to be from outside the system. But it's also going to be part of the way God works. And so by Matthew bringing this Micah passage in, it reminds us that Jesus is born, it's not Herod's kid. He's not from the power structure. He does come from Bethlehem, and that way he is a lot like David. So the wise men leave, follow a star to Bethlehem and to a particular house. We cannot know if this is a star, a meteor, or an angel. Um, There's a couple verses that might be part of this story could be there's a, a prediction in, by Balaam in Numbers 24 that says, A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. So is this star part, star part of Balaam's prediction? This is one of those areas where maybe this is an echo of Scripture that's not directly quoted. And Matthew's not making it particularly clear, but, but could it be an echo? A resonance of this. And in fact, there's another Old Testament passage, Isaiah 60, verses 6 and 7 says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praise of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, the rams of Nabaioth, shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. See, so, so could, in these stories, Isaiah be in the back of these guys' mind, right? As they're thinking about gold and frankincense, his names particularly. And then it talks about flocks. Is that thinking about shepherds? Now, these are sort of the, the echoes of Scripture we see a lot, and sometimes it's hard to tell how particular the story is connecting to these things or not. Now, our third particular one, our third direct reference, comes when the li- after the wise men leave. They're warned in a dream not to go back to Jerusalem, just as Joseph is warned in a dream to not uh, to go to Egypt to try to kill the child. Herod kills all the firstborn children to and under in the Bethlehem area. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament and you hear that, you instantly should think of Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh did that to the people of Israel. Uh, and, and remember, one of the boys that was spared in a basket down the river was Moses. And, and Matthew loves comparing Jesus to Moses. Okay? Um, and so Matthew makes this connection clear when he quotes Jeremiah 31.15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. Now, when Jeremiah writes this passage, he's actually using Egypt as a metaphor for exile. See, you got to see all these layers. Okay, Jeremiah is in exile looking back at the Egyptians in slavery and saying, you know, just like, just like Israel's wife, okay, who is Rachel, uh, cried because the, because the Israelites lost their people in Egypt, now we're crying like that in exile. And then Matthew's bringing it further to say, 
look at this. Now Pharaoh, King Herod is like Pharaoh, and we're seeing this weeping over children once more. This flows right into our fourth uh, particular connection between the Old and the New Testament. After the death of King Herod, Joseph is told in a dream that he can leave Egypt and return home. Matthew connects this with Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now this gets interesting because, because at first, this just makes simple sense, right? Israel came out of Egypt, and that's good, and, and now Jesus is coming out of Egypt, and Jesus is, uh, is God's son, just like Israel's called a son. Yeah, but, but here's, here's the problem. Okay, well, first of all, Hosea is doing the same thing Jeremiah is doing. He's using leaving Egypt to talk about coming back from exile. But, but furthermore, the situation is actually not that parallel. In other words, the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. Jesus is actually safe in Egypt. Okay, where did he flee from? Israel. Okay, and the Pharaoh in Egypt doesn't seem to bother Jesus, but the Pharaoh in Israel, the king of Israel, is now the Pharaoh. See, you understand the, the irony here that Matthew is trying to get us to capture. Israel is now Egypt. Pharaoh is now King Herod. The whole world has flipped so that now Israel is just as bad as Egypt. Matthew is emphasizing something important to the story. Israel is Egypt. Israel is still in exile, therefore, if you take it to Hosea's level. Okay, there's, there's an ir irony. This is actually, Matthew's giving us a really subtle indictment of Israel, a subtle indictment of the world into which Jesus has come. How backwards is it that now leaving exile is going into danger and going to exile is actually safety, and now Pharaoh is our king? Now we need a new exodus. Now we need a new return from exile, except it's got to have to be in our hearts because we're already in our land. See, so Matthew's using this verse to really help us understand what Jesus is trying to do to change our hearts. Now, there's one fifth and final element of the Old Testament that, that's in the Christmas story, and it's the hardest one to understand Matthew 2.23. So right at the end of, I mean, as Matthew's finishing the birth narratives, he ends with this. And he went to live in a city called Nazareth so that, he, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Here's the problem. That is not a verse in the Old Testament. That's not a verse in the Old Testament. You can look and you can look. You're not going to find exactly what Matthew's referring to. What Matthew seems to be doing is combining some things. Okay, he's, he can't really be talking about being a Nazarite. There's a thing in the Old Testament where you take a Nazarite vow, where you don't eat certain things, where you don't cut your hair. Um, that's not this word. Jesus never did that. We know because we know some of the stuff he ate and drank. Um, so he's, he's not talking about Nazarite. No, I, I think he's, Matthew's actually combining a larger sense of the prophets, the way I've been arguing for in this series, right? That, um, and in fact, in all these other places, Matthew says uh, this same kind of formula that was spoken by, but he says the prophet, and then he quotes, the prophet, and then he quotes. But here he uses the prophets, plural. In other words, this is something he's trying to get at from multiple sources, not just one. 
but what are those sources and what is he trying to say? Well, two strong possibilities and maybe both are what Matthew intended. Um, first, it seems that Nazareth was a despised city. It was looked down on. In John 1, 46, Nathaniel wonders if anything good can come out of Nazareth. Okay, how could, some, how could the Messiah come out of a little Nazareth? Okay, Nazareth's little backwoods town. Isaiah has several places where he sees the Messiah being despised and rejected. Isaiah 49, 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. Then Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So, so Jesus connected to Nazareth may be part of this despising. The, the other one is just maybe a play on word with the word Nazareth. The word Nazareth uh, has the same three basic letters, N-Z-R, as Nazare, which is the word for branch. And we already read those verses. That there shall come forth a fruit, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch. Right? And Jeremiah uses the term branch. So Matthew may also intend uh, to have a little pun in there. In other words, just like, uh, just like the Isaiah said and Jeremiah said, he was going to be a Nazar. He's from Nazareth. You got that? It's a little bit of a, a pun there. So, so we've covered a lot of verses, but, but here's, here's what I want you to think about as you prepare your hearts for Christmas. I just want you to note how much of the Old Testament is in the New Testament and how often when, when the Gospels use the Old Testament, they're meaning it for way more than you can read on just the surface. To really understand it, you've got to go back and you've got to look at it in its context. And, and Luke, with his references, but, but particularly Matthew with his direct quoting, is really... Matthew cannot imagine telling the Christmas story. He couldn't possibly even try to tell you the story of Jesus without bringing in all these Old Testament passages. So my question for you is, how can you possibly approach Christmas without a deep dive into these passages? Without letting these, these Old Testament words... Um, bring you forward into thinking about who Jesus was. And so my hope and my prayer, as we've taken some of this deep dive, is that this year you'll read the Christmas story and maybe read some of these Old Testament passages and you start to see the bigger meaning, the big sweeping story behind the, the little nativity story. These big sweeping images and, and these huge claims that these stories are making about who this baby is. That you may be led to celebrate all the more how Jesus fulfills the hopes of all the years.